0: I
1: don't know. All right, we're ready when you
2: are. Good evening, everyone, um, and welcome to the uh, January tenth, twenty twenty four Board of Trustees meeting. And since um, Board Chair Banerjee has moved on, all uh, right, member of the Executive Committee, I'm going to host the meeting. Tonight. And, So uh, the first order of business tonight is uh, electing our um, executive officers for
0: 2024.
1: Can I do roll call first? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, and then we also You're do have three or four public speakers that we should be first. Yes. That's okay, oh, okay. All right, so roll call. Trustee Bouquet.
0: Here.
1: Trustee Chapman. Here. Is attending the adjust cause. Trustee Fox. Yeah. Trustee Friedman. Yeah. New trustee Garrett here. and trustee sign here. Chesty Splendorio will be here shortly, and trustee Obligacion is excused. But we do have a quorum, um, and we can roll right into public comment. Our first public speaker is Rexy Dixon. Mr. Dixon, are you here? We'll come back to him, Thomas. Uh, Charan. Um, what about Edward Wargo? James, you
3: said was the person? Mr. Mr. Tom Tarn. He's on the screen. Is he? Okay. Upper right corner. I think he's in his volume.
1: One moment. Oh, he's signed in like three times. Thomas, can you hear us? Okay, he must be having some difficulties.
4: Uh, What about Dennis Carroll? Yes. Hi, good evening. Do you hear me? I can.
1: I'm going to set a three minute timer for you, and I'll give you a 30 second warning, Okay.
4: Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, My name is Dennis Carroll. I live in Alameda in a marina village HOA, which is adjacent to the marina village inn, which is a, I call it a contract health facility that's being operated by Cardia Health. I have appreciation for the work that Cardia Health and uh, another agency called Five Keys is trying to do. Um, this facility, it's, it started operations on May 1st, and there was no public outreach before that. It, was, it just started happening without any public input or awareness, and they recognized that, Cardia Health recognized that, and they had public outreach meetings. But there's like patients that were just going out in the community and, and affecting adjacent property owners. Um, it was just not a good fit. And there was a recognition as early as August that they needed help in screening patients and additional security. Um, that people just come and go for the facility. There's no perimeter fencing. Um, uh, there is adverse impacts to the adjacent properties. There's the Marina Village HOA, which is 178 units of, um, of condominiums. Um, there's a, a Panama Apartments, which is 84 plus units of apartment buildings. There's the Oakland Yacht Club. And there's also the Ensignal Yacht Club, which has the largest youth sailing program in the Bay Area. Um, there is a need for additional security for screening of um, of their customers. Um, there's also like a number of other impact on public services, like part of the security issue, there was a major incident on November 12th, where a patient reportedly had a gun, it turned out to be a BB gun, but they used it to threaten another patient. Between Alameda Fire Department, and Alameda Police Department, there was 20 to 25 personnel on site for a duration of approximately four hours there's recurring Alameda Fire Department medical calls. There's at least two in the last 24 hours. This is a healthcare facility. There's open like awareness in the community that the, that the facility is run down. It um, has plumbing problems. Um, and it's also non-sprinklered. this is what I, I, a major life safety concern. You're housing people seconds. that are in poor health You're having fire departments show up like once or twice a day to transport people to other medical facilities, and the building's not sprinklered. This contract is supposed to end on April 30th. There was no public outreach before it. There needs to be a focus on providing the resources where there's security, screening, and a focus on finding a new facility for the, um, the, the care of these individuals to be transitioned to on April 30th or May 1st of this year. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you this evening. Thank you for listening to my concerns.
1: Um, EDWARD Warga, THOMAS CHAREN? You're on mute, Tom.
5: There. can you hear me now?
1: Yes, I will start a three-minute timer and give you a 30-second warning.
5: Yeah, I don't really need three minutes. I, I, I echo what uh, Dennis just talked about. Uh, uh, I was a physician at Highland with 35, 40 years ago, so I know the difficulties with that Highland and everybody has with patients, but right now Cardia Health is does not have the kind of staff nor the security that it needs nor the screening capabilities to keep uh, psychotic patients out that that they can't handle. So, so I do ask that uh, this contract be looked at very closely to provide what the community needs, also what the patients need uh, to provide a safe uh, place, a haven for uh, clients or patients that are being can't be discharged to home because they don't have a home uh, from the hospital. I know that and. But on the other hand, uh, to uh, put it into a community here where we've got lots of problems with it and Cardea does not have the staff to operate it. And I think that's all I'll say. So I ask you to look at the contract closely and to see what can be done to to handle the problems that are ongoing there. And thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Rexy Dixon is here. He's having a hard time unmuting. Can you hear us? Rexy Dixon? What about Edward Vargo? Let me try one more thing with Rexy. All right, they're not. Rexy Dixon. All right, I think we can move on. They're not answering. Thank you. I think we can move on. They're not answering. Okay, thank you.
2: Um, so our uh, first order of business tonight is the election of the 2024 board officers um, and i guess uh, we'll begin with the uh,
3: board chair uh, do we have any nominations for the board chair uh i'll nominate trusted david sign for a second
2: take on the chair position second <laughs> we have a second Do we uh have a vote go- we
1: can um I Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Garrett. Aye. Trustee Sein. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. <laughs> the motion passes.
6: Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I confidence,
7: and It's an honor to serve this institution, which we all really admire
2: so we need a vice chair is there a nomination for vice chair
7: i nominate uh trustee bouquet second, second. <laughs> who's
1: that
3: in trustee Fox. Okay. all right <laughs> trustee bouquet abstain <laughs> trustee chapman aye I, I i was going to nominate
8: the same person as a matter of fact aye nice <laughs> trustee fox aye Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Garrett.
1: Aye. Trustee Sein. Aye. And Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Uh, we need a candidate
2: for the Secretary Treasurer as well. Are there any nominations for Secretary Treasurer?
7: Really All speaker once. One more. We, we can't have three men officers. I just so will not be a party at a travesty like that. Ooh. It's not like we have a lot of women to choose from at this particular time. Hopefully, they'll change. Looks like Jet's going to have to run and hide. <laughs> <laughs> her screen's blanking up. <laughs> well, Nellie's not here. We can nominate her, right?
3: Is that how this works?
7: I don't know. <laughs> awesome. I'll make a
1: motion for Nellie. Second. Okay. So Spoon Dorian Friedman, move for Nellie. Okay. Um, trustee Bouquet.
7: Sure. Yes.
8: Trustee Chapman. <laughs> I don't know if I wanna do that because I don't know how Nellie feels about it. (laughs)
0: Um,
8: So So I'm all the same. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trusty Garrett. Aye. (laughs) Trustee (laughs) Sein.
0: Aye.
1: Trustee Splendorio. Aye. And the motion does
2: pass. Now, um, the next item that we have to deal with is the
9: various committees. uh, Yes. My apologies for interrupting. So we also designate a fourth officer for Brown. Yeah, the bylaws right. allow for that for another. at yeah. highest. I as foolishly as assume
2: that Trustee Freeman would continue yeah. in that role, cool. but we have to we have to vote him in. That's right.
10: I'll, I'll, I nominate I'll, Mark. I'll second that, for
3: <laughs> Good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs>
1: All right, Trustee Buchan. Hi, Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Fox, Aye. Trustee Friedman, Aye. Trustee Garrett, Aye. Trustee Sign, and Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay. So now the next order of business then is dealing with our committee uh, membership okay. and chairs,
2: um, and uh, let's begin with the, from the bottom to the top of the QPSC. Um, Councilor, does this also require the same format or can we simply have this conversation? I, I believe it's my prerogative to choose. We, we serve at the, of the behest of the chair, sir. That was my thought. Uh, so with that, uh, my proposal is that uh, Dr. Bouquet would um, continue as the chair of the Quality Professional Services Committee um, and that uh, Trustee Garrett uh, and myself would continue as That needs everyone's approval. Um, The Human Resources Committee, I would ask uh, Chad and Dr. Bouquet to continue there, the fine work that they're doing. Uh, On the Finance Committee, um, I would like to um, ask uh, Trustee Fox to continue the work that he's doing, and I've learned a lot uh, under his tutelage there. Uh, And I would also like to ask Trustee Splendorio to continue because. Uh, his insights have been really, really wonderful. I feel like I got another master. Butter rate. me up, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, and I would like to trustee Garrett uh,
0: with his background
2: uh, to join us as well. I'd be honored. Um, and actually, I was bereft there. I was uh, wondering also if you could join us on the QPSC I'd be as we discussed. Certainly. Um, so we, the executive committee, we already have, uh, and what remains is audit and compliance uh mark you've been the chair of that are you willing to continue doing that yes i am that's wonderful thank you uh and hopefully uh trustee obligacion who doesn't get the chance to say no uh, (laughs) will continue and splat can we count on you okay great well then we have the uh standing committees filled i don't think we need to deal with the ad hoc committees now um and so with With that Mm -hmm. I believe we can do that but i don't believe we have to do it now no, just you. yeah i agree one. i totally agree a okay i'd rather be able to talk to people about that than just to assign it um so with that then we move on to the 2024 board meeting calendar which is uh, attached to the agenda um do we need to vote that or uh, we do okay uh well i i move that we approve the calendar as Post. Second. All right.
1: Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Garrett. Aye. Trustee Stein. Thank you. Aye. And Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Thank
2: you. Okay, so our next order of business, then, is uh, the report from uh, Mr. Jackson. And I apologize for my soft speech, but I have work done this week, and I have to not move my mouth a lot which is unusual for
11: me thank <laughs> you mr jackson thank you chair sign and it's a pleasure to be able to call you that so um thank you for taking on this That's responsibility it. um i would uh, ask rana are you able to project my report
1: oh yes i sure can hold on one more minute, thank
11: please. you so while she's bringing that up i do want to take a moment's privilege and just um talk a little bit about our newest trustee uh, mr garrett so i just um wanted to give a a quick synopsis of some of his past. I had the, the great pleasure of meeting with Trustee Garrett last week and getting to know him a little bit better. We had met previously, but but got to do a deep dive and was really pleased with his grasp of healthcare, but also his enthusiasm for this role. So just quickly, um, Greg Garrett, MPH, is the Chief Operating Officer at Native American Health Center, which is a federally qualified health center here in Oakland. Uh, the Native American Health Center provides medical, dental, behavioral health, and community wellness services to its 15,000 members. Greg is an equity minded public health professional with more than 20 years of healthcare strategy, operations, finance, and policy experience. Um, I think you all will enjoy getting to know Trustee Garrett as I have enjoyed getting to know him, and um, I'm grateful for your willingness to serve. It's my pleasure, sir. Absolutely, to meet you as well have that deeper dive into this enjoyable conversation. Thank you. So uh, moving to my report uh, next slide, please. Um, I want to start off with a quick synopsis of the year that we have just completed. And so I believe that you all did receive the memo that came out that included this information. But there are a few things that I just wanted to highlight for you and for the audience here this evening. It's I'd like to start with John George Psychiatric Hospital. They had a perfect joint commission survey this past year, which if you've been around this system for a little while you know that that is different than the way things have been in the past and so kudos to that team um and anecdotally they received a lot of positive feedback for the what was considered stellar staff engagement so that was really quite um promising in addition at john george they focused on reducing assaults and this board has heard from the staff on a number of occasions about their concerns regarding assaults on staff and so I believe that we are moving in the right direction. And, and in the year that just passed, they were able to reduce workers' compensation claims from $1.5 million the year prior to just under $400,000 in the year that we have just completed. So a pretty significant change. Um, and so kudos again to the team there. Moving down the page to the third bullet, um, I would just note that across the system, we were able to achieve increased efficiencies through the dedicated efforts of our compliance and internal audit department. Um, Marilyn Boston is a relatively recent addition to the system as our vice president for compliance. And I think that she has done a really wonderful job. Um, I'm pleased with the way that our audit and compliance function is working, doing a deeper dive and really making sure that we are um, working in an um, efficient, but also um, with fidelity towards the mission of the health system. Uh, Moving over to information services, which is at the top of the right side of the page, I'm really happy about the implementation of Epic Beacon, which uh, improved patient and provider experience. With Beacon, AHS is 100% electronic, and providers throughout the system have up-to-date information for every patient receiving a therapy. And that's new news, and it's just another aspect um, of the Epic rollout, so kudos to Mark, Amy, and to the IST. Um, in the next bullet, I would just note that we successfully completed the state audit for program year five of the QIP um, program. And so AHS received a final quality score of 100%. And in our ongoing quality initiative to improve health care for our Medi-Cal managed care population and patients, AHS earned the entire $60 million pay for performance amount that was available to us in the reporting year. So um, that is um, of great significance. Um, we had the pleasure of going to the beta heart conference earlier this year and ahs received five beta heart um, recognitions for just culture culture of safety rapid Event response and analysis the OB quest for zero and tier two and ed quest for zero tier one so um i am acutely aware of the board's sensitivity around quality issues and i think this harkens to the fact that we are absolutely moving in the right direction from a quality perspective next slide please um, on this one, I did want to just talk about, um, this really speaks to the, one of our pillars is our staff and, um, employee engagement. And so I'm really pleased with the fact that our human resources department this year launched the individual contributor leadership academy. And that's for employees who are interested in growing their careers within AHS, and also I think it illustrates our commitment to growing talent from within three of the HR internal candidates mm-hmm. receive promotions. manage your roles and so that's something during our chat we hear a lot from staff about wanting the opportunity to grow they want to stay with the company they like being here and so the ability to give people those opportunities to move up within the company i think is terribly important in the next bullet um i just would quickly talk about the fact that we successfully can or excuse me um that in nursing we had several accomplishments that included the launching the successful launch of the usf health equity nurse scholar partnership so, kudos to Roloff and in her team. And we believe this will help us develop the next generation of nurses uh, who understand the challenges that are faced by our patients. And so, um, I am sensitive to Trustee Obligacion's comment at a meeting earlier this year, where she said, you know, not everybody can afford to go to UCSF. And I do appreciate that. And I would just say that we are looking to do similar work with other programs, such as Samuel Merritt here on this side of the bay. But we do think the partnership with USF is a strong one. And I must say, Uh, you know, my appreciation to Trustee Splendorio who established that connection to UCF, excuse me, to USF4. So that was very helpful. Thank you, Trustee Splendorio. Sure. You you have on your shirt? Yes, you were right. Indeed. (laughs) Very good. Um, Turning to our position program, and this is the second bullet from the bottom of that page. Um, Over the past 12 months, we've added 39 positions to our roster for a total of 339, representing 29 different specialties. And um, at the very end of that, we had just 2% turnover in the past year. So I just, I got to put a pin in that because that's huge. And if you've been around this place for a little while, you know that that was one of our challenges was um, physician retention. And so kudos to Dr. Tornabene, to Dr. Achille Sworn for their leadership and the changes that we're seeing in the way that we interact with our physicians. And then finally, at the bottom of the page, I'm really proud to report that all of our skilled nursing facilities and subcube units are now considered their five-star overall quality rated and five-star quality measure from the Centers for Medicare and medi Services. And in addition, the Alameda sites were nationally recognized as being top-skilled nursing facilities in the country by Newsweek's 2024 List of America's Best Nursing Homes. So kudos to Richard Espinosa and his team for their strong work there. Trustees, um, before I move on, I will stop there and see if you have any questions or comments about the the highlights of the year that I have just Share. Well,
2: if I may, I would add a highlight that I don't think I heard there, which was uh, Alameda hospitals achieving four stars in the Medicare ratings, which is really significant Not an easy thing to do. Great
11: work there. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. And yes, indeed. Okay. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Moving to our quality pillar and our charge there is to provide safe, timely, effective, efficient, equitable, and patient centered care that's accessible to all. Next slide, please. What I'm sharing here is um, this is from the um, Donor Network West, and that is the organization that helps give a gift of life, frankly, when individuals have passed and they are suitable candidates for transplant. We work closely with Donor Network West, and so you can see based on this document, our grade for the year prior was um, an A, and we have uh, maintained our A status with the donor network. And so you can see the elements
0: of that. The effective
11: referral rate, we were in A. Organ referral rate, we were a B; Tissue referral, A. FDA, honored, A. And then other compliance events, we were also an A. And so this is something that um, I just take great pride in. Again, looking to <clears throat> Roloft and her team for their work. I've shared in this setting before about the honor walks that have taken place. And that's where, when the organs are going to be procured, um, staff line the hallways to the OR, and the family and the patient are wheeled down in in that respect prior to the the, um, procurement of the organs. And so I just really, I love the fact that we are actively working to help give the gift of life when people have um, reached that point in their their care. Next slide, please. Long time coming. The CT scanner is operational at um, San Leandro Hospital, and so this is something that you know has been in the works for quite some time um, my thanks to preston walton and our friends at the foundation who helped facilitate the funds necessary to activate this unit and so i think you'll recall we were sharing a mobile unit between alameda and san leandro and so by virtue of this work we now have a state-of-the-art um, unit available there at san leandro hospital and so you know you can see the the kudos to the team there on the facilities team bill Bradley who is our chief engineer there and our facilities team James Selena Jeff Celestino and then obviously the ancillary IT team that helped do the programming necessary to make this a reality so very happy and proud about this next slide please community connection in this pillar we are an anchor in our community and so we align <laughs> our services to deliver comprehensive continuum of care by providing needed services and being a trusted partner in this community at large next slide please Wanted to take just a moment and acknowledge that um, Pete Nix, who many of you are familiar with, but Pete Nix is a renowned um, film director and producer as well as a writer. And um, he was the driving force behind The Waiting Room, which was done back in 2012, which was a really powerful look at this organization. He has since completed what he calls the Oakland Trilogy. And so that includes the, um, The Force, which was in 2017, and then also Homeroom, which was the third entry in the Oakland trilogy. Mr. Nix has um, indicated that he's interested in revisiting um, the Alameda Health System and doing another focus on the health system, although it's unclear exactly what that will be. And so we've had preliminary conversations with him, um, past Chair Banerjee and I met with him late last year. And what I propose (coughs) is to bring Mr. Nix to this forum next month and to give the board an opportunity to speak to him what it would require is renewal of the agreement that we had with them previously and I really think it will be important for this board to understand you know what his intentions are and to have the opportunity to explore that with them and so um that is the intent would be to bring him here Alice Kenner who is our director of pace has also been in conversations with them and so I've asked her to help lead that effort as we move forward next slide please um, Dr. Charlotte Wills is here, and this is something that she shared with our leadership team recently, and I just felt like it was very powerful, and it speaks to some of the issues that we have addressed in this forum before, um, our ED, our ability to move patients with speed and fidelity through the ED process, and so Dr. Wills shared some of the most recent press-gaining comments, and I will I will just refer you to the note that she put at the top um, while it's a tiny sample size, it's the first time that she can recall. And I'll tell you, she's been, I'm not gonna say how many years, because uh, thank you a lot, um, but, um, in her estimation, this tiny snapshot feels like more evidence that our front end process is making a difference. Um, and I'm hopeful that with physical improvements to the care space, both in triage front and inside the ED, we can maintain this upward trajectory. Thank you all for your support, support, supporting our efforts with this. And so again. Thank you dr wells for your leadership and i think it's important to just note some of the comments and these are direct anecdotals that come from the the folks that we serve through press Candy, which is a, a third party vendor that does this sort of work and you can see some of the comments good people excellent doctors and assistants excellent doctor and they mentioned the specific physician who called them a couple of days later to tell them that their broken leg wasn't as severe as originally thought that lifted my spirits the doctor did amazing Some doctors rushed me, others were okay. Um, I can't really remember if the doctor was good or bad at this visit. Um, uh, Let's see, did not have the opportunity to see a doctor, which is interesting. But then the doctor was very efficient and it was a very busy day. So the wait was long after the initial intake and test to see the doctor. Other than that, everything went well. So some green shoots, if you will, that we're seeing in our efforts to help patients feel valued and that they're moving through in in a timely fashion. And again, thank you, Dr. Wells, for sharing that next slide please this is um something that i thought was valuable to share because we have worked with the davis street clinic for a number of years we have an mou with them because they are a facility that doesn't have the you know the wealth of resources and i use that term guardedly but that we have and so one of their concerns is that if they were to lose power they could it could wipe out their ability to store their vaccines and so we have an mou with them that should they have a power outage Their vaccines will be moved immediately to our San Leandro facility so that they can be stored in a controlled temperature setting um, so that they will not be compromised and then have to be disposed of. And so I share this because I feel like it's an important thing that it's not work that we're necessarily doing, but being good partners, being collaborative and trying to make sure that we support the entirety of this community to make sure that good care is being provided. Next slide, please moving to staff and physician experience and of course we value our physicians our clinicians and our staff and we seek to engage and grow retain and empower them to serve all next slide. Today there was an event that was held here, and it was a training session for our physicians regarding human trafficking and that's something that we know happens in this community and certainly we want to do everything in our power to identify and to stop, if not mitigate human trafficking. And so there was a session that took place today um, to educate our clinicians about how to identify and what steps to take when they identify a potential trafficking event. And so um, when this happened today, the DA and other officials from law enforcement decided to come because they wanted to be a part of the session. And so very pleased and proud that we were able to host an event during Human Traffic Awareness Month to help raise the awareness, certainly for our clinicians, but also for this community. Next slide, please. Sustainability, and of course, we will pursue innovative approaches to invest in new programs while managing target investments in infrastructure to support the delivery of high quality care. Next slide, please. Um, I did wanna do a quick update regarding St. Rose Hospital. Um, We've talked before in this forum about the fact that there is
7: an RFP that the St. Rose Board has issued to
11: try to identify a a partner, an affiliation partner, because St. Rose, like many independent hospitals, is struggling to make it on their own. There was a task force that occurred last year, of which uh, Mark Kratsky and I participated in. They came up with three recommendations, and one was to remain independent and try to enhance their operations, but that was deemed less than desirable and probably not viable. The third option was to close St. Rose and to disperse the assets, and that was deemed not appropriate, given the valuable asset that St. Rose is for care in that community. The third option was to seek an affiliation partner, and to that end, they've issued an RFP that was issued in the first week of December, and there is a response requested to the RFP by the 12th of January, so later this week. Um, we have we signed the NDA, and we have prepared a draft um response to the RFP Um, it is a non-binding draft and it is basically our statement of how we envision that we might be able to be that affiliation partner with St Rose which we will submit to the St Rose board and so you can see in bullet number two responses are due on the 12th and we have completed the RFP we had a meeting today with um a subset of our board and we will be looking to this board for further guidance if and when um the st rose board deems that they'd like to have um further conversations with us about the possibility of affiliation next slide please that would be it that's my report and i'm happy to take any questions or comments from the trustees
10: if i may it was a minor item that the housing of vaccines in such circumstance for um davis Street. Coming from a small clinic myself or a smaller clinic, I want to say, I want to compliment the
5: agency for, for that action. Um, we almost lost $25,000 of vaccines several months ago, and, and that's very highly impactful. I just want to compliment you on that.
11: Thank you, Trustee Garrett. Certainly, we feel it's important um, we, there are synergies in this community, and we're stronger by virtue of these sorts of relationships, and so I appreciate you calling that out, and we think it's the right thing to do.
2: Thank you very much thank you an inspiring report um we're going to move on to the medical staff reports we're going to be- begin with uh, ahs and dr lee and her group Did you? Would you want oh to i get... forgot <laughs> we missed a couple of uh, public comments whilst we were getting the technology to work and so uh clerk would you please uh bring on those comments that we missed
1: yes first up is Rexy dixon who's on zoom are you there Rexy? Yes. Okay. I right, have
12: three minutes. I'll set a timer and give you a 30 second warning. Yeah, uh, I, I apologize earlier, I can't unmute myself. Um, so um, my name is Rex <coughs> Rison. I work at the um, <coughs> media Hospital uh, surgery department and an executive committee member of SEAU I have three questions. So right now surgical, surgical instruments are being sterilized at Thailand. Do you have any information on SPD upgrade at Alameda Hospital? Two, a decision was made to move some surgeries from Alameda Hospital to San Leandro. Could we have an update on if additional surgeries will be done at Alameda Hospital the soonest possible time? Um, Number three. This failure of Alameda Health System to maintain a strong investment in the Alameda Hospital building. It is particularly distressing to us because it suggests that Alameda Health System may, may betray the residents of the healthcare district in Alameda County by failing to keep the hospital open as a full service acute care hospital with a 24-7 emergency department. The 2030 deadline to accomplish the the, the retrofit or rebuild of our hospital, so it meets state requirement to acute care hospital, is approaching quickly, and we are unsure if you are planning on pushing the Alameda Health System to to complete the necessary construction. Our region is already poorly supplied uh, in in available emergency department and in, inpatient acute care beds per capita. But failing to clearly establish that Alameda Hospital gets the improvement it needs is particularly reckless at this time. The COVID pandemic showed that Alameda County does not have the acute care capacity it needs when the health of the community is poor. We are likely to suffer the next major earthquake on the fault lines near the hospital at any moment in the next few decades. Finally. Sutter Health is holding to its terrible plans to close its ED and inpatient beds at Alta Bates Hospital in Berkeley and St. Rose Hospital in in Hayward is purely is poor financial shape and at risk of closure at any time.
1: 30 seconds.
12: So we we would like to know the plan of Alameda Hospital as we approach the 2030 deadline. Please let us know what you have in mind for us.
1: All right, next up, we have Donna who's here in the room.
13: Same thing. I'll set a 30 minute, ti- a three yeah. minute timer for you and give you a 30
1: second warning. Yeah, it
14: asks me all. My name is Donna Mapp. I have the privilege of working with the workers at Alameda Hospital Park Bridge. I'm so sure representing the union, SCIU-UHW. I've been there for the, God's like forever. I've been there for a long time, working alongside with the workers. We had several contract negotiations, mainly with Alameda Hospital. We ratified the agreement last day. Thanks for your support in that. And over the years, we have been there at South Shore and Parkbridge. The little engine that could don't know, even though you're aware that South Shore and Park part of Alameda's system. And we've been trying to get the workers there the wages that they deserve, right? And again, the pandemic has taught us that when workers work, they should be able to have the health care coverage that they have and able to live where they work. Um, the contracting itself in seven regards to wages has been very it's very low compared to Alameda Hospital. Their workers average nineteen dollars an hour across the parking lot. Alameda Hospital thirty something thirty do- something dollars an hour. It's a vast of you know, a lot, like $15, fifteen, twenty close to that much that they make. And we've been trying to get that wages up to scale over the years we worked with management to make this, that happen because they cannot maintain workers. folks is trying to get into the hospital system from these two buildings. they are going to Highland they are going to um, San Leandro. they are going to other hospitals because of the, of the wages. And so we came to the table um, January really, right we came to the table late last year trying to resolve this issue. We came in good faith and we asked that it's time that the workers make the wages that the hospital, that the, the, you know, the hospital work. We know there might be some differences, but it's too far away. The numbers is too far apart. And so we have a proposal, we have made a proposal to management and they um they said that they would need final approval from the board. We were told that this would be happening tonight.
1: 30 seconds.
14: Unfortunately, that might not be so, but in the event when this information comes to you, we are asking that you look at us, the little engine that could, a park bridge and south shore, make sure that folks can live where they work and finally get them the wages that they so deserve. So we are asking in advance, whenever that information comes across to you in a presentation that you remember, you're asking for your help and your support Indeed, what they will be addressing you, a couple folks. I just oh. want to thank you for your time and have a blessed evening. If you want thank you.
15: Next up is Maria. Uh, <laughs>
13: Hello, everyone. I'm Maria. I'm one of the receptionists at Park Bridge, and just going off <coughs> what Donna said. Uh, There is a huge difference in pay. Most of my coworkers, myself included, I work a part-time job on the weekends. So I'm working seven days a week, every single week. Um, I cannot afford to live just on the income and I'm by myself. So it's not that I have a lot of overhead, but it's not enough. Um, I don't even make $19 an hour. I could go to In-N-Out and make $19, if not more, which I think is crazy because We do more work. We have patients that drive me crazy, but I love, and that's why I stay there. I was born and raised in Alameda. I've worked in Alameda. I would like to stay in Alameda, but um, it's getting very difficult. And I know Mm -hmm. that I've heard just talk that people are waiting to see what happens because people are now having to be pushed out of where they have been working for many years. They enjoy working. But they just can't do it anymore and you know it's working two jobs is hiring mothers. we have cnas that work doubles on a regular basis uh, we're not asking for anything that's not it should be fair because we are part of elmia hospital we shouldn't have such a huge difference in pay it that just doesn't make sense and maybe there's more to it i'm sure there is but i don't i i just can't figure out why the difference is so big um so I'm just asking to take that into consideration. We're not asking for a lot, but we just want to be treated fairly. And that's really the bottom line, is to be treated fairly like the rest of our co-workers. So that's
0: it for me.
13: Thank you for your time. Thank you.
1: Margarita.
16: hello good afternoon. my name is Margarita and um, I'm a CNA and I work at Partridge and I am a, a mother of five kids and I work at Park Ridge every day. doubles included and I get really, really tired, but I have to because if I don't then my my check comes out really low. and I would you know just really appreciate you know you guys course, you guys it's time to just please help us out on this so that that way, we, we can also work with our patients, but also be able to stay home and be with our families. Um, to be able to do both, of course, because I love my job. I love being with my patients, but I also want to be with my kids, and I want to be with my family. And unfortunately, I can't really do that if I don't work every day, and I don't work doubles. So thank you guys so much.
1: Thank you. And I believe our last speaker is Anne.
15: Hello, everybody. My name is Anne. Um, I work with... A youth, so Parkbridge have used to be a uh, Water's Edge nursing home. So I worked with Water's Edge nursing home for almost 13 years now. I started as a CNA. Now I'm an LBN in Parkbridge. Um, for, for myself, we have 24 patients to take care of as a nurse. And for the CNAs in the morning, they have eight to nine, and in the PM shift, they have from nine from ten to twelve. Uh, and I understand that staffing everywhere are very difficult, and when we don't have any staff, we have to have uh, extra patients to to take care of. Although we have a registry that cover our some of our part or groups and we would like, I would like if we can pay for the registry to cover or pay them to work in our facility, why not pay
12: the regular
15: employee to work? Because from, from what I heard, they get paid more than the, the regular staff in Park Ridge. In addition to what my colleague said that we opened the bargaining and we although they said we will meet on this day unfortunately it's being pushed through every week every week and a week it's being pushed through and until now we still don't have any any um like result or what is the ahs um third that's it thank you very much thank you i believe that's
2: it thank you very much okay so now we're going to move on to our medical uh, staff reports beginning with uh, the alameda health system dr lee and team
17: good evening board um the alameda hospital and ahs had a combined open session so if you don't mind i'd like to go first
18: Okay, thank you, everyone. Um, I'm Nikita Joshi. I'm the Chief of Staff of Alameda Hospital. And as Dr. Lee mentioned, we've combined the open session. And so we hope this year to be uh, streamlined in our messaging to you, the board. Uh, What we wanted to highlight is that for both of our med staffs, we want 2024 to have a focus of throughput um, for what we do in our MECs and what we report to the Board of Trustees. Throughput is something that's critically important, and it's been brought up in many meetings. For example, in the joint planning meetings that we've had regarding the future of Alameda Hospital and what to do um, with the options that have been uh, worked on diligently through conjunction with the Alameda District Board and our finance um, committees and colleagues. and in those meetings, throughput was brought up many times specifically with regards to Alameda Hospital and length of state. We also believe that throughput touches upon so much of what is critically important at AHS, which among many things also includes access to healthcare for our patients and quality of care that we provide. Um, like I said, throughput directly impacts length of state. So for 2024, specifically at Alameda Hospital, we want to look at throughput and length of stay in a lens together. For example, things that we'd like to spend the year looking at is what are the resources available at specifically Alameda Hospital and within HS as a whole? What impact is there to length of stay when these resources are limited, such as ECHO's through staffing or other availability? What impact does that have for length of stay when our surgical and OR capabilities may be limited? What does this do to Alameda Hospital in relationship to the rest of the system. For example, transfers to and from Highland, to and from San Leandro. For example, our stroke patients at San Leandro come to Alameda Hospital and transfers to and from our SNPs. So in conclusion, we want to spend 2024 looking closely at throughput, especially to length of stay, because we want Alameda Hospital to be the most efficient hospital to give the best healthcare to our patients to improve access and the quality care that we deliver. Thank you so much. And turning it to Dr. Lee to complete the report. Thank you, Dr. Joshi.
17: Good evening board, congratulations to the new board officers um, and happy new year. I'm gonna start with telling you about our Alameda Hospital and AHS medical staff annual event. We featured a guest speaker and general, uh, journalist, Jessie Singer. We spoke on the topic of her book, There Are No Accidents, The Deadly Rise of Injury and Disaster, Who Profits and Who Pays the Price? Mm-hmm. She challenged us to look at our workplace injuries and patient safety incidents in a critical system-based way to develop our environment and work conditions to prevent errors and unfavorable outcomes. It was a riveting and excellent talk, and she gave us permission to share with our colleagues. So I encourage everyone here to watch it. It's available on the AHS intranet medical staff page. We plan to continue combined open session meetings of the Alameda Hospital and AHS medical staff. Our respective medical staff leadership continue to work together to develop a relevant and concise open session. I feel it is a very important milestone for both of our medical staffs as we work within our One Health system, caring for the health of our diverse communities. Our medical staff, as Dr. Joshi mentioned, plan to continue our efforts in collaboration on patient throughput. The Doc of the Day position was approved in December. A multidisciplinary group of physicians, nurses, and executives are meeting to discuss the best way to implement this, this position based on data from the pilot in August of 2023. Current needs in the healthcare system and strategic planning for the coming years. We believe that this is a position that will be part of the solution to improve patient flow throughout AHS so that our patients receive the right care at the right place and at the right time. Doctors Wu, Tornabene, and Dr. Moon have been working strenuously at filling the gaps in interventional radiology coverage at AHS. We look forward to the growth of this department and hope to tackle how increased IR presence can improve patient outcomes and throughput outside of trauma coverage. And as Dr. Joshi mentioned, many of our departments care for patients who touch Alameda Hospital. We all have direct interests in how they affect our patient care flow and our access. And so we look forward to continuing to work with our operational partners and the Alameda Hospital Planning Commission as they continue their work. In 2024, I'd also like to continue to highlight distinct and excellent services and achievements at AHS. Last year, our new orthopedic chair, Dr. Guido De Stefano, presented his department report to us, highlighting the vastness of his department to include operative and acute care services at all three hospitals, sure. as well as ambulatory care at all five wellness centers, including Marina Wellness, He also mentioned podiatry services are available in the acute, ambulatory, and long-term care rehab settings. He specifically highlighted the development of physical medicine and rehabilitation services at AHS, where they recently received accreditation from the Commission of Accreditation of Rehabilitation Facilities. This is an international gold standard for rehab accreditation. So I invited Dr. Daniel Winkle to our meeting this evening. He's the Division Chief of Inpatient Rehabilitation and Medical Director of the San Leandro Facility of Inpatient Rehab to tell us about their services and success. Um, Dr. Winkle, if you're on.
19: Yes, thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yes. All right. Yeah, uh, so I'm Dr. Daniel Winkle and I'm Medical Director of Acute Rehab Services for AHS. and. Um, I was really excited about our recent uh, survey results. So I shared those with Dr. Akila Swaran and Dr. Lee, and um, the findings were so encouraging uh, that I was invited to, to share about that. So as you mentioned, it's the Commission Accreditation of Rehab Facilities Survey. Um, and so CARF is the international gold standard for accrediting the acute rehab units um, all over the world. And uh, acute rehab at St. Leander Hospital received the longest available accreditation. And we had 13 key program strengths and one of those was our medical staff and so i just wanted to read the comments uh, the, the comment for the survey so the medical director and rehabilitation facilities physicians are well qualified and actively involved in the provision of care in the unit the consultation service has been delayed or developed to assist the level one trauma service with rehabilitation planning for persons served Medical director has advocated a variety of ways to advance knowledge of the program with various stakeholders in the community and review of medical records of the person served revealed strong documentation related to diagnosis and meeting the requirements to justify the need for comprehensive and integrated inpatient rehab admissions. And in addition to the written comment the surveyor stated verbally during our exit interview our medical staff was amongst the top one percent of medical staffs in the area of documentation quality and advocating the need for rehabilitation uh, in his 30 years of surveying programs um, so i just wanted to share uh, this result and thank our post acute team ahs and ahmg for supporting our acute rehab program and fantastic medical staff so Cheers to really the staff of this. This is a group effort, the whole staff at the rehab hospital really this belongs to, and you know specifically congrats to our medical staff as well..
17: Thank you, Dr. Winkle. and that is the completion of our medical staff report, and we're open for questions.
6: I would just comment that uh, the board congratulates the San Leandro Rehab facility for an outstanding result of the CAR survey. Okay. It's an outstanding achievement.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. I think it's exciting to
2: really learn how much our um, different medical uh, teams are working together as a single unit. I think it's really powerful. Uh, With that, then we're going to move on to our committee and trustee reports. First, uh, audit and compliance. Trustee Goodman?
3: Yes, uh, sir, Chair. I think we have one more medical staff.
2: Oh, on the agenda.
20: Good evening. Uh, thanks for having me, um, trustees. My name is Abed Mulganum. I'm the San Diego Hospital Leadership Committee Chair. Um, I, I would like to you know, also congratulate Dr. Winkle with any rehab um, services. I really see how much an impact that the, the services of the staff and Dr. Winkle has on our patients postoperatively. So um, I think they deserve all the accolades that they've been getting, and I'm sure there's going to be more to come. In in terms of um, provision of services, uh, or in terms of what's going on at San Leandro Hospital, um, you know the <clears throat> expansion of SPD, like we mentioned, is ongoing. Um, we we are also uh, absor- absorbing additional service lines, uh, surgical service lines, without much uh, difficulty. Um, orthopedic sur- orthopedic surgery, um, OB/GYN, I think soon to come over. Um, and, um, the, we have done this by having increased peroperative staff, um, in order to make sure this goes smoothly and we're optimizing the staffing needs, uh, working with, um, our manager and, um, and, and also optimizing the block schedule to make sure that our utilization is appropriate. Um, another structural improvement is the CT sc- scanner, which Mr. Jackson already mentioned. Um, and the last. Piece of uh, 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 the last bit of development that's going on at San Leandro Hospital is that there are structural improvements that are ongoing in the med surge um, floors, uh, in- including um, the the telemetry um, site is being optimized as well as uh, physician documentation terminals are being optimized. That's all I have for this year so far because we have yet to have our quarterly the San Landro Hospital Leadership Committee meeting. We'll meet next on February 6th, and I'll have more to share with you at our next meeting. So thank you, and I'll take any questions.
3: Dr. Maganum, uh this is Ket, Can you normalize this term SPD uh, for, to, to, for this crew because it has implications to our discussion on items F2, F3, and it relates actually to one of the public comments which was sort of made uh, yeah. Can you inform us what SPD
20: is? Sure, SPD is Sterile Processing Department. It's essential to process, um, you know, uh, hardware that's going to be implanted in patients or the tools that we use to provide surgical care. Um, you know, it, it's critically important for patient outcomes in terms of um, uh, infection that this be done not only um, uh, or be done without um, any. Um, without fail. Additionally, for efficiency of the hospital, this needs to be done quickly. So meeting both of those metrics can be difficult at times. And I and I think that is the push for expansion of the sterile processing department services, um, especially with the movement of orthopedic surgical volume um, at San Leandro Hospital. And this will be an additive benefit to all the other surgical services that operate there, including general surgery, Ob/gyn, podiatry, um, probably GI as well. So it, it's a critically important, but background, um, uh, very much in the background part of uh, provision of surgical services.
3: Thank you, Dr. McGonigle. And I ask the trustees to remember this point because it will relate to item F two that we're going to
7: talk about. Thank you very much, um, Mark. Uh, trying to pull up the agenda from that meeting on our ahs website and there's no agenda there so uh, mm. i'm trying to refresh my memory any of the other committee members anything remember anything in particular we discussed on uh, november
1: 7th i can pull it up and i'll bring it over to you Just- all
7: right. right well let me pass yeah. that meanwhile idea. let's move on to the yeah. quality
3: professional
2: Services committee dr bouquet
3: um I'll, uh, I'll i'll keep my report very very quickly we met on november 29th did the standard work of the committee, which was approving policies and procedures and credentialing and discussing performance uh, of across our quality measures. In short, we're we're trying to make inroads into our true north metrics. As everyone recalls, uh, we went zero out of 11 or green on our true north metrics at last fiscal. We're we're actually having some nice splattering of green, um, uh, which is showing that I think we're making some inroads. We're just not there yet as we make uh, the break into Q3. Uh, Number next, we heard uh, from uh, from the qual- about our quality review program, end of year program. That was a very uh, uh, detailed and lengthy report, which we heard about. That's part of our standard work. And then we also heard from uh, Dr. Benson Chen, who is our division chief for critical care. We heard a nice outline of the review of critical care services, basically ICU services, the sickest of the sick, uh, uh, across our system. Uh, that. Report is in your uh, is in your is in your record. I'm not going to go through the details of it. It just I'll just say there's extraordinary complexity with the garden managing the ICU patients here. Um, that was the the long and short of it. And I'll answer any questions if any. Thank you. Okay. Great. Okay.
7: Thank you. Thanks, Thanks uh, Rana, for You're uh, fixing me up here. Um, so we did most of the normal stuff, but we went into some depth with the financial statements with our auditors, uh, John Fenice and Brian Connor of Los Adams, and that uh, all looked very good. Uh, we had our usual cybersecurity update, this time from Mario Jimenez, and then uh, we also had our regular report summary on internal audit and compliance by our VP of compliance and internal audit maryland boston the uh, good news is there was nothing of significance uh exposure or um, issues that need special attention things have gone along pretty well
2: any questions okay with that we'll move on to the finance committee trustee
11: fox
6: okay the finance committee met a week ago tonight um CFO reported that by and large, our volume trends are favorable. Uh, We are generally above budget and above last year in areas such as adjusted discharges, ED visits, trauma visits, outpatient surgery deliveries, uh, sniff days, and clinic visits. Um, So that is all uh, very significant that that we are recovering from the COVID downturn and, and moving up quickly in key volume areas, many of which are uh, have good margin for your organization. Uh, year-to-date November, uh, operating revenue was 3% above budget, expenses 1% above budget, uh, and net income uh, was $5 million compared to a $4 million budgeted loss. Uh, so at least on paper, we're $9 million above budget. Uh, however, the budget spread is going to be redone by staff uh, because of issues relating to how payroll deductions are being put in the budget. And so that favorable variance on the bottom line might be a little bit lower uh, when you see results for, the, for December uh, or January, whenever that adjustment is made. Also, um, although we're ahead of budget this year, a net income, we're $3 million behind last year. Uh, because of expenses this year growing faster than revenues compared to last year. Um, I, I would also mention that registry is $11 million, or 31% lower than our expenditures last year today, yes. which is significant and, and a great improvement. Congratulations to everyone involved in, in the operations for that improvement. And the NNB net negative uh, Amount owed to Alameda County is $35 million at the end of November that we owe them uh, in the past year or so. There have been several occasions where they owed us, but right now uh, we are into the county for $35 million. Uh, there also was a report on the audit, but uh, Trustee Friedman went through that and uh, it looks like the audit is uh, almost complete uh, and with favorable results. The next item on the agenda was discussion of of the proposal for the seismic uh, upgrades at Alameda. I know that that's on the agenda for this meeting, so I'm not going to go into great detail. I would just say that the the major points of discussion at the Finance Committee were whether the Alameda community and city government have been included and brought along in the planning process. And also concern over the financial projections for option A, uh, which shows a 6 to $8 million loss annually after completion of the project. Since we're going to have discussion, I'm not going to go into that any further right now. Uh, finally, the committee approved the motion to recommend that the board approve the Fujifilm tax contract, which we'll be talking about tonight. It's on tonight's agenda. Questions? It's the report.
2: Okay, so with that, we'll move on then to our consent agenda items. Um, there are one, two, three, four, four items. Actually, yeah, four. Quarter. Um, are there any items from the consent agenda that people would bring up for discussion? So move Is that a <laughs> <Move. laughs> yeah. to, to, Proposal to, to it.
3: Move forward the consent agenda in its entirety.
2: I <laughs> Okay. okay. I can have
1: a vote on that? I'm sorry. So Friedman moved to second. Right. Well, <laughs> oh.
0: Okay. Thank
8: you. <laughs> um. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. I I just. I have a question about the one of the agenda items. the uh-huh. One that's the action item. So um, I'll say I'll say aye, and then I'll ask my question. Okay.
1: Um, Trustee Fox. Yes.
3: Trustee Fox.
0: Aye. The COO, <laughs>
3: the COO was distracted.
0: Trustee
1: Friedman. Aye. <laughs> Trustee Garrett. Aye. Trustee Sine. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you.
2: Trustee Chapman your question
8: I just reread it I don't have any questions thanks
6: thank you uh, mr. chair do you mind if I make a, just one addition to my report please and that is that the board recommended the, uh, the finance committee recommended that the board approve the uh, that the work proceed on the language necessary to uh, amend the uh, Alameda and alameda health
2: system uh okay. agreement which will relate to the uh, the use of the parcel tax thank you okay um with that three. you now move on to, on to yeah, yeah okay. um so now we move uh to our action and discussion three. items the first of which is the board of trustees annual self-assessment review uh and ms hurst from the Governance Institute is here to speak about
21: that. Hello, this is Elizabeth Hurst. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Fantastic. And Rana, if it's all right, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen.
1: Yes, please. Thank you.
21: Please let me know when you can see that first slide. We're good. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. My name is Elizabeth Hurst, and I am your strategic advisor with the Governance Institute, which is the organization that completes your board self-assessments on an annual or biannual basis, depending on the topics at hand. So this year, just ending our calendar year 2023, we completed the board self-assessment, and I have a high-level overview now of those results to share with you. Please ask any questions throughout for members of the board if you do have information in the report itself that you'd like me to check along the way. The assessment when it was completed by the board would have been categorized uh, visibly shown during the assessment itself during the survey into the three fiduciary duties and seven responsibilities that the governance institute recognizes as integral to board process. So you would have seen duty of care, obedience, and loyalty, for example. If we look at a high-level overview of the results themselves, we had nine of nine board members complete the assessment for 100% participation, which is excellent. We had an overall effectiveness rating of 8 out of 10. I have the national averages listed here. But keep in mind, those are external benchmarks, and I prefer as your advisor to definitely have a focus on the internal processes that you have in place for efficiency and effectiveness, rather than having a large focus on those external benchmarks, but they are here just for a frame of reference. The engagement experience overall rating is a 9.1 out of 10, which is very high. And influence is 8.4. Now, these numbers will make a little more sense as we move forward in the summary, if you're wondering exactly how those aggregates were arrived upon. They are a composition of specific assessment items that were then aggregated for those 0 to 10 scale. Let's take a look at the highest performing assessment items. If you're following along on the report itself, this this would be on what's marked page 2 of the report. And you're gonna see a couple of fiduciary item categorized assessment pieces here. We also had some specific questions that were created. The top one, for example, looking at the financial reports on an ongoing basis, the third one down, understanding the funding models of the organization. Those were custom to your particular assessment. And these are the areas in which the board members have illustrated that these are higher performing for the board as a whole. If you're curious about the math, 11% would represent one board member's response. If we look to the lowest performing assessment items, this is where I like to call this areas of challenge. We have some, again, customized items that are denoted on the right-hand side as system module, So I'll give you a moment to take a look at those. I would say the second one from the top is probably the number one challenge that I see for organizations, and that's finding enough time on the agenda to have strategic discussion, which I know is a challenge for you as well. Now, keeping in mind that you're a public organization, Some of these are gonna make a little more sense when you're trying to meet certain needs on the agenda, for example, or with strategic planning. If we look at the question asked about what do you believe to be your most important obligation as a board member, we had all board members respond to this question. And I've made this thematic, just given the breadth of responses, Mission and vision was mentioned here, and I put that in the center because I do think that's one of the most important pieces that board members should focus on in decision making. We also have the executive partnership listed here, the fiduciary duties. Board culture, the way I would define that is knowing that there's comfortability and having discussion, that the group works well together, conversation is open, there's camaraderie. And I can already see just taking part in the meeting this evening that, that that is definitely something that's strong with the group. The community role is been represented throughout the assessment and the results, you can see that the board members are dedicated to the organization and to patient access patient care, and this was also reflected in the responses. If we move to the statement that was evaluated on engagement, my experience on the board is positive, meaningful, and engaging. This would be where we get the 9.1, which is on that 0 to 10 scale. And you can see the array there. We have five board members respond with a 10, 2 at 9, and 2 at 7. And that would be our aggregate of 9.1. We have four board members of the nine provide qualitative Uh, response here, and I posted those verbatim because it was a a shorter list. You'll see it thematic as we move forward. If you haven't had an opportunity to look at the feedback, the verbatim feedback, please take a moment to do that. Uh, There are four items that had specific responses that were asked of the board and I think that it's very important to see how assertive the individuals were, how very direct most of the individuals were in their responses. If we look to the next evaluated statement, this is on influence. I have the opportunity to effectively influence the organization's direction, culture, or performance. This was an 8.4 out of 10. I made this thematic. We did have five board members respond here, and the uh, responses were fairly lengthy, so I didn't put the verbatim responses on the slide. So we saw that there's influence in the strategic piece, the cultural piece, DEI is there. There were some great comments on DEI and diversity when it comes to the patient population. That relationship with executive leadership seems to be fairly tight based on the comments. And then again, the the community really comes to be integral to the decision-making process. What is the single most important improvement the board could make to be more effective in the upcoming year? This is really where I put a lot of weight of the assessment when I look at the responses. We had eight board members provide feedback out of the nine. Again, I made it thematic because it was fairly lengthy. And we really see an array here of topics. This is where I will challenge the board as we look at what a governance development plan might look like, challenge the board to focus on this as well as uh, obviously the very important pieces that we've pulled from the assessment to look at what a development plan might look like over the next 12 to 18 months. So those physician relationships, is there something you can do to help the meetings be a little more efficient? board and committee participation, as well as education. Board culture, making sure that that remains streamlined, community partnerships, external partnerships, keeping that strong relationship with the executive leadership team, and then DEI focus. There's also a question about what educational topics board members would like to see moving forward. We had seven board members respond here, but multiple individuals mentioned multiple topics, and that's why you're seeing more than just the seven. I was really impressed with the topics that were mentioned. That workforce piece, patient access, DEI again, and equity state and federal regulation was mentioned, which is particularly important for your organization as it's public. Quality and cost analytics. Some of these are very in depth and that's impressive to see a board really looking to more complex healthcare issues. So something I'd like to mention is that governance is cyclical. The assessment process is definitely a step in the wheel of intentional governance, making sure that you're creating a baseline, that you're moving forward in a governance development plan. And that's what this graphic is meant to illustrate. So when it comes to a governance development plan, this is definitely something that we can talk about more as your advisor and moving forward on what next steps might be. The one piece that I'll put here is you want to make sure that the assessment process isn't just a check the box, that you are looking to creating intentional, active, very proactive approaches to best practice governance. And that's going to help the board continue to grow and continue to be more efficient and effective in the future. So I know I breezed through that very quickly. What questions do you have for me, either based on the report or on my presentation?
3: Uh, Mr. Thanks for that presentation my imperfect recollection is that we did this survey in 2022 as well. I don't remember if we did it in 2021. So I guess my question to you is quantitatively. Uh, I know there's qualitative quantitatively. How did we do an aggregate better same the worse than, than prior year.
21: That's a wonderful question. I don't have the previous year presentation right in front of me. Uh, what I can tell you without looking at your exact numbers that we were seeing right now, we just had a meeting about this today, is that numbers are improving, but from 2020 to 2022, the numbers, for obvious reasons, uh, declined significantly across uh, all organizations nationally. But we are starting to see that pull out. But I would uh, absolutely be able to get those numbers for you and provide them to the board through Rana.
3: Thank you. That'd be helpful to let us know what, to, where, where are, where, are we improving? Where are we stagnating? When, when, perhaps where we're
2: getting worse? Thank you.
21: Yeah, absolutely. Great question.
2: Um, I don't have a great deal of experience with this type of evaluation. I'm involved in one organization where we have a tough time just getting the board members to do the self-assessment. Um, while it's useful to know what we think about ourselves, I wonder in this space is it done to have some objective evaluation of the performance of a board, for example, like what does management think about the job the board's doing? What does the community think about the job the board's doing? How would we
21: know something like that, what people actually think about our performance and results? And you're talking about the executive leadership and board specifically?
2: I'm talking about the board specifically.
21: Yeah. So if you're looking at a way so I think just so I understand your question, you're wondering if there's a way to survey what the community and what executive leadership thinks about the board's performance, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have not seen anything like that specifically. What probably some of my colleagues would say as patient experience data is going to be what a lot of organizations use to measure performance of an organization as a whole, but also the uh, medical staff, and executive leadership. A lot of that's done through surveying, through patient experience, and even market data, uh, brand recognition, those types of things. But I have not seen a specific tool where the organization and or even the public is asked to rate the board itself. Okay, just, just
2: curious. I'm just starting yeah. with the chair here. I want to make sure I get an A at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> sort
14: of well... Thing? I think
2: this dialogue that, has occurred before
3: in this organization. I, I myself think it's very appropriate. We light our CEO on asking everybody under the sun. I'd say let's hold ourselves to the same standard.
21: Yeah, and obviously, if it was the board chair, I could put together a fairly uh, simple assessment of where it's one individual being assessed, but. As far as having a pool such as executive leadership or the public to measure the performance of the board, that would be a little more in depth because choosing that pool of participants would be more challenging. Thank you. Are
5: there other questions?
21: What's next? <laughs> What's next? On the agenda or for governance oh, no. development? Deal this? <laughs> So a governance development plan is absolutely best practice to as a takeaway from your assessment results. And for example, that could mean, how do you want to build out your education agenda on the requests that were made from the board, those topics that I listed here in a previous slide? How do you match that with your meeting agenda over the year? You know, how do you access the education? How do you expose board members to the material that they've requested? So I think building out an educational plan is one important piece. Also looking at areas that scored a little more lowly on the totem pole of performance, how do you address those specifically over the next 12 or 18 months? In your case, if you're assessing annually, then every 12 months, what's your governance development plan look like? And it might be something as simple as how do we build out more time on our agenda for education? And maybe, you know, obviously for you, just looking at your board agenda, it's very tricky looking at the size of your board packets. That's very tricky. But there are different avenues that you can take to help build out more time for conversation and strategy. So I think a gov- uh, putting together a well-developed governance plan would be the next step from the board self-assessment. Thank you. That's what I
2: thought, too. <clears throat> Any further uh, discussion? Let me move on. Thank you very much. It was really uh, quite enlightening. I enjoyed uh, reading
21: it. Well, thank you very much for your time, and you have a wonderful evening.
2: Okay. Uh, so with that, then we move on to items uh, F2 and F3, which are related, uh, discussing the the seismic retrofit and reconfiguration uh, at Alameda Hospital. And I'm going to turn that over to Mark and Kim thank you trustee klein
9: and i'll say a few words and internal to kim um, we did present this as you heard last week before the finance committee um, trustee Fox gave, um the outcome of that discussion um, and kim will go into more detail but our alameda health district planning group um, a combination of alameda health system and alameda Healthcare district has been meeting for a year been doing a lot of work we looked at several models several program configurations etc came up with a
4: configuration that we the committee approved we all approved
9: Um, i don't know the option number can talk about that but it basically secures or keeps in remaining the two medical surgical units and we will be adding a distinct part skilled nursing unit to it Um, along with that uh, we'll continue this this includes electric surgeries Um, and as i mentioned at the board meeting last week it does come in at a 7.5 million dollar loss without the parcel tax included in it so That was a point of discussion at the finance committee. And we did agree that we will take this option, take it back to what I'm, what I guess I would call a Alameda hospital performance, operational performance improvement group that Dr. Tarnabini and I are putting together and have that group work on how to close that gap, you know, not fluffy stuff, but real stuff to close that gap and bring it back to the finance committee in the near future. Um, And that sufficed um, in terms of the finance committee um, being okay with that. And then along with that, we know that in order to to start, to give the confidence to um, the bondholders, et cetera, around the the financing, we need to get a move on, if you will, the the, um, securing of the parcel tax use for security around a loan in the future so the concept um, here was to approve the concept of changing the jpa we don't know the exact language yet we'll figure that out but we need to um, have the approval to move forward with contemplating what the exact language will be as we move further down the line so with that um,
22: i'll turn it over to to kim So this is the uh, Finance Committee presentation that was uh, presented last week uh, and posted. Uh, I'm not gonna go through everything in this deck. I'm going to do you know, an abbreviated uh, version of it, uh, but this deck is available for your consumption. Um, I wanted to uh, thank all of the district appointed uh, joint planning committee members. They're listed here. Uh, Mark uh, talked about the journey that they've been on and all of the different variations of uh, seismic options, as well as uh, doing a deep dive into the current services at Alameda Hospital. Um, and that detail went down to the patient level and service line to identify opportunities. Um, One of the things that happened late in this process is we got a revised cost estimate and the seismic work went from a high of 71.5 estimate down to a $28.4 million estimate. So that um, allowed us to feel much more comfortable with the bonds, the funding, the adequacy of the funds, all of those things. One other thing I wanna point out is the cost to convert the 27 acute beds to skilled nursing cost the same amount as remodeling the old maternity unit that is now not being used into skilled nursing beds the same cost 24 7. so those were important considerations for the committee um I'm showing this slide because the picture is worth a thousand words really um what this uh shows you is how we went about analyzing the current operations. So our baseline was FY23. Of course, we scrubbed it. There were things we had to adjust, right? But this is the resulting baseline. And we basically looked at the service lines based on the source of patients. So the first column there is everybody who came through the ED, no matter what happened to them, if they went inpatient, if they stayed outpatient, Whatever services they had, but they came through the ED. So that's the first call. Second one is elective. They did not come through the ED. They either were inpatient admission or transfer or an elective surgery case. Those were all elective. Subacute is its own unit. Uh, Wound care is a clinic. Uh, The skilled nursing is Park Ridge and uh, South Shore. And the other is mostly labs. so a mixture of, of some small stuff. So when we scrub it and we come across, you can see we have a loss today of 5.2 million, which includes that parcel tax, You can see it up there in the revenue line. Um, And the biggest loss is generated from that elective column. Those are the transfers and the elective surgeries. And we did do a lot of work with the committee and a deep dive on the types of cases and the payer mix and all those things. But that was the biggest source of the loss. I'm not gonna go through all these assumptions, happy to answer questions, but I think I don't know that we need to go to this level of detail, but there's assumptions that we had to scrub, and then there's also um, some other assumptions we included that are consistent with our monthly financial statements. There are a few key points that I think are worth noting. Um, When we did this, we discovered 50% of the ED activity is coming from the island. So residents are using the hospital. Uh, They have a high Medicare, payer mix, much more so than all of Alameda Health System, uh, indicating that uh, there's a higher Medicare population on the island. Um, The current skilled nursing payer mix is unfavorable because we tend to refer patients that are sitting in our hospitals that we can't get out or they don't have another option, even though our skilled nursing facilities rank high and probably Medicare and commercial patients would like to get in there and some do but it's difficult based on the input issues that we have um there are 66 um, an average daily census is 66 which is an occupancy rate of 58 so that's low we would like to optimize that more at 80 percent you can't go to 100 because you've got to have room to turn patients during the day um some coming in some going out and um the length of stay is above the expected by 1.5, which means that we have opportunities to reduce the length of stay. And our surgery volumes um, from the ED are less than one a day. So most of them are elective cases, ophthalmology, which are very short, short cases. Uh, so we have an opportunity to be uh, more efficient. So um, I've, I've got two columns here. I'm just comparing the baseline with the option that was uh, proposed to bring forward by the Joint Planning Committee. Uh, The baseline will tie out to my first slide. If you add back the full year of Southbridge, we moved them to Fairmont, and I needed to do a true-up here. Probably should have done it on the other slide, but we've been working with it on this slide, so everybody knows we don't forget it. So the the baseline loss is uh, is 4.8 million, and you can see it's the same in both the recommended option and the baseline. We have to remove the parcel tax because we're gonna need to use that money to pay for the bonds. Now, granted, some of that money might not need to be needed to uh, pay for the bonds, but for now, we just took out what we had received for that FY23 year. And then in the option A, we're adding back south. 18-bed uh, skilled nursing unit. So the committee is recommending we go ahead and we spend the money uh, to convert or to, to build the SNP unit into south rather than lose the acute beds. And then we did put some reduction in length of stay in here because we're already seeing it happen. It's already coming down since COVID. So then the loss is already improved over baseline from 9.9 to, to 5.9. And again this assumes everything just keeps going we continue to do the same mix of surgeries we continue to transfer the same type of patient that we do today we looked at a whole bunch of other options these are the summary of them Um, so uh, option b there we basically uh, change those acute beds to skilled nursing so we reduce the acute beds so that by taking the 8 million out um, from the transfers and the elective, that biggest loss, of course, you're gonna see that it becomes much more profitable, right? And you know, we could uh, do the seismic work to those acute beds and not change them from acute and keep them licensed and lock the door, right? And then not do those elective cases. So this this analysis did not go to that to that level of what we might do to, in our system to make certain services around. Option C would be to do two skilled nursing. It would lose the 27 acute beds, make that a SNP unit, and create a second one on two south This one becomes uh, quite a bit more profitable. Uh, option D, we looked at some other uses for the unit. The one here was the substance abuse, which does not help us. And then option E over there is to close the hospital, which is the worst option, because then we lose the uh, hospital base SNF rates. So this is a, a summary of the recommendation. Um, and Mark's kind of already uh, uh, walked you through this. I'll do it again. Uh, so option A is to maintain the existing bed structure. So we're going to keep all of the acute beds um, we're going to take two south and convert it into a skilled nursing unit. It'll actually be a medical SNP unit, which has a better pair mix. The cost to do this is going to be $53.1 million. Um, and the committee recommends that we appoint a transition committee that Mark already talked about and include uh, key staker, stakeholders to review the surgery mix, look at the length of stay opportunities, consider other program development, and take a more system-level approach to the analysis. And the uh, total capital costs are within the bond consultants limit of $70 million, which, again, made everybody feel a lot more comfortable. And the committee recommended that the JPA uh, be... Uh, uh, amended to redirect the parcel tax for the use uh, to pay off bonds. We'll
3: leave it at that. We'll have questions? That's a lot. Yes. A lot. <laughs> for for definition, say, can we define elective surgeries? Are these any inpatient surgeries or truly outpatients scheduled to be in there? Is there still going to be inpatient elective yeah. surgery of surgical office? So.
9: The elective surgeries are mainly outpatient, but we do know that some of those elective surgeries created two and a half days um, of inpatient census at a given time. So it is isn't majority
3: is outpatient. Okay, so just, just uh, uh, down to brass tacks, if a, if a patient comes in with an acute gallbladder, <laughs> they can <laughs> do in the yes. office. So this will still
6: serve the inpatient. Yes, in emergent. In emergent in cases. One other yeah. well, thing to point out is I don't know if you can go back a few slides where you had all the options, but option C, which is the one that creates a, an additional subacute unit, I believe. Uh, but up on the top there, where it says capital cost, you see that the capital costs are seventy-eight million dollars, so twenty-five million dollars more. You do get a nice return on it, yeah. but it's going to be. You know, if you look at that that return. You know, I don't know if it'll pencil out. 25 million dollars how many years that'll take but that's a factor that the board should be aware of yeah and another factor as i recall is a hundred percent of the proceeds of the parcel tax
2: can't be used there's a limit it's either i think it's 90 percent or the bottom it's all the money that's so correct there's, there's going to be some
5: um still going back down operations i'm sorry mr chair is is it true also that 70 million is above the bottom of it correct we couldn't be sure to fund that.
2: Yeah. 70, I think, was the hard limit. Yeah. And that, you wouldn't want to be that close. So keep in mind then that the, the, the scheme here, as the British like to say, is to um, use the parcel tax money partially to do the size of retrofit that has to be done, but also to fund the renovation to make uh, the facility more profitable, if you will, or more financially solvent. Um, and I, I would also kind of point out that if you look at an option, say, that reduces the ability to send patients to Alameda Hospital, then you have to think about where those patients are going to be, and they'll be languishing here at Highland making make them like to stay high. So
0: it's, there's a lot of pieces to balance, that's for sure. And we've had some very lengthy uh,
2: conversations about this. And again, I feel like I've got yet another master's degree in hospital administration listening to Mark and others. Uh, work their way through this because it is this it very
9: complex possible
2: so, is so maybe we keep going on questions so it is
3: uh ms miranda if you'll go back to kind of the baseline and then uh there we go so uh my interpretation of here is at baseline uh we're losing 9.9 million dollars per annum including the six million dollars that we get is that correct at baseline
22: uh 4.8 includes the parcel tax, and then we remove the parcel tax to make it lose
3: 9.0. 9. Okay, got it. So uh, if, if, if that's the case, it looks like every option, A, B, C, and D, with exception to E, is better than baseline. Is that true? Okay. Because that's 9.9. 9, well, that was 5.9. Not, not
22: the closure of the hospital, the
3: hospital. Well, that's why I said ex- with exception to okay. E. I said A, B, C,
2: and D. Are better than baseline from a financial perspective. Well, not better than baseline, better than, well, the baseline of the hospital going out of business in 2030. Well, that's why I saw the baseline at 9.9, and I'm comparing that 9.9 to all these other numbers. So, is that
3: true?
22: Yeah, it's driven off the, if you'll remember on uh, this slide here, see that elective column? Yep. That's what's driving it. It's the transfers and the elective surgeries that we're doing today that we are losing the most money on.
3: So of all all the proposed A, B, C, and D, they're all better than baseline because
22: they don't have the electives. Because of stuff.
3: because of if, if we with it with, with the caveat that's extraction. <laughs> From an operational point of view, do we have the uh, capacity to absorb those electives at San Landro? Is that where is that in the calculus? There, the, the, the current electives,
9: yes. Okay. So we have capacity beyond the current elective.
3: Okay. okay. So those can be absorbed elsewhere within
9: the system. Um, if they so didn't did do anything there, most likely they could be absorbed. In those um We don't want to when we you know when we sit down and look at it as a system, which we need to do. We right. don't want to shuffle things around a loss here to a <laughs> loss there. It doesn't matter. It's all one big button. I uh, so yeah, so, that that part I agree. So you know we just have to. We can't necessarily say we're going to get rid of electrosurgery. That that even that
6: may not make any sense right well i think i just add that although we have opportunity to reduce the loss of 10 million to five or six million uh we we also have an opportunity now to eliminate the loss uh with with option b and since we're putting 50 million dollars into this operation i think uh it behooves us to try to get this thing to break even and it might not give everybody, particularly our Alameda constituency, what they everything they want, uh, but uh, we may need to have a little compromise here. And on H- AHS's part, we're talking about giving up over five million dollars in partial tax revenue and transferring that amount of financial risk to our organization. Seven years out, we have no idea what the environment will be like, yeah. and uh, you know we may need to ask some of the folks that uh, right now are pretty intransigent about changing the configuration to, to give that a little bit more configuration, a, a little bit more consideration than maybe they voice at the finance. Your today. words, Trustee Fox, will be echoing in our
9: ears as mm-hmm. we sit down as a group to work on how we're going to close the gap. I've
10: got a few more questions for a I know because I made a lot of comments the finance. <laughs> so, um, so I appreciate, you know, that you don't want to, uh, Further leverage uh, the income stream uh, for capital, you know, by going from 53 to 70. Um, however, um, did you analyze that, you know, if you could use some of the uh, additional uh, uh, rate, the amount raised, bought you know, to further improve the profitability? Is that I know, Mark, when we left, you were going to look at other things. Is that I-, I would like to see you think about that. I mean, you know, maybe not a more incremental uh use of the funds you know that could approve that bottom line and the second thing and this is kind of tied to this and I, i'm sorry i did not raise this the other last week i have you in, this assumes the physical plant will be maintained the same i'm sure not making the land is going to be used exactly the same configuration or the same amount of land and what i'm getting to is 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 it possible that uh Part of the land could be utilized for, to generate another income stream. I mean, do you need the you know the land that you ha- that Alameda now has? Could it be could it be used for something that would be more either presumably more profitable but also beneficial to the community? And um, and, and I don't know if you went through that analysis, but I, that's something I, I would be looking at. You know, I mean, I, mean, I, I know I deal this with in my world. You know, we have. Uh, offices and shopping centers that have you know, incredible parking fields and you don't need the parking fields as much yeah. anymore for money,
0: for yeah. different reasons but you know we look how do we maximize the value of what we
9: already have uh, into something else yeah anyway, that's yeah understood and it's something we did not address or talk about but that land at alameda is pretty landmark right now there's not a whole lot of wiggle room on that property right now unless there was consideration for tearing down a little building or something like that to create more space there. But that wasn't looked at it's something we can talk about. Um
10: okay. to your questions. well I I I'm, let me beat that down I want I mean, you to give Yeah, because I mean like I said I to me I look at I look at the parking and that's where I look. Yeah. do you need the parking can it be used yeah. for, for something? You know, could you use a portion of something else that yeah. would possibly? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If, yeah, you know, parking study yeah. shows if it's full all the time, mm-hmm. maybe it is, and, and that's a non starter.
9: I just think that it, it, it should be at least
10: analyzed.
9: We can yeah. ask those questions the parking is utilized, or could you build up?
6: Uh, I mean, well, I, I that's expensive. I mean, that's expensive. Yeah, obviously, it is. That's expensive, but, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, or is or is there something else on the balance sheet of Alameda Hospital, or any other property anywhere else that might be, that we could possibly sell, or lease and get an income stream? Okay. All right. So well, where are you? Were, you, were
2: you? Yeah. Okay. The other point I wanted to make is, in option A, if in fact you use $53 million and we bring it in at that, that leaves a substantial amount of property tax revenue or parcel tax revenue still available to fund operations. So it's not really five million dollars at all, and that hasn't been calculated. I don't know how to, how we to calculate exactly what the bond payments are, but if we know that the maximum available is somewhere around seventy, and we're borrowing fifty or fifty-three,
9: then each year there's a couple, you know, a couple million dollars yeah. probably still there, and,
6: and that could be considered against that seven point five million dollars yeah. loss and i guess i would just put the question out there is in the bond indentures would is the uh the you know the banker that you're working with looking at the fact that there's a, maybe a little bit extra to cover the bonds if anything came up and you know may have another view of there's always, there's always diverting some always of there. that reserve to offer you know, or guaranteeing some portion of that opera, that reserve to operations yeah that's you know,
9: if there is leftover, if you will, that would have to be part of the language in the JPA in terms of, you know, that leftover comes back to operations 20 organization. And that's what we, that's what we have to
6: consider. if that's doable. If that's doable. No, that's, I think that's, uh, what else would the district do? Well, I'm not thinking about the district. I'm thinking about uh, the bond venture and whether that extra money is going to be something that the the bond sellers or or bond council is going to want to bring in there it's really underwriter it's yeah the underwriter, underwriter issue. does it make the bonds more marketable would give us a better interest rate to know you've got a little you got a little bigger issue in there
0: well
6: there are
10: always there's always going to be a reserve i think my recollection is sometimes a reserve does get reduced over time as the bonds are paid off i do recall that these are these are cop's, COPs and uh, I, just, I think i've seen that that those uh uh amortization of that you see reserve go down over time and hopefully the great you know, the grade that it's received because these are taxes that bonds and they'll go to they'll go to big banks that's where they'll go presumably that's where they'll go well then that's with their their, their their investment clients typically that's where these go we have our
11: bond on the screen. Um, Mr.
2: Hicks, if you have any comment to share, it
23: would be useful. I'd be more than happy to. uh, Can you hear me all right? Are you able to hear me? Yes, we are. Okay, great. Um, You're absolutely correct. I think the comments that were provided or or the assumptions that were made in the discussion just a minute ago are are accurate. Uh, the, uh, The greater the cushion, or the the coverage as we refer to it in the the bond industry, um, uh, the lower the rates. So it provides a greater or a higher level of security uh, to investors. These investors would likely not be banks, but they would be institutional investors. Uh, They could have a mix of retail investors as well, but primarily institutional investors. Because we're looking for generally 30-year terms and banks right now are not terribly interested in going that far out on the uh, on the maturity or term spectrum uh, but to the extent that there is a higher coverage ratio that would improve our rating of the bonds by the Moody's or Standard & Poor's and that have a direct relationship in lowering the interest rate so number 1 the the cash required and the parcel taxes would be reduced as the interest rate goes down And um, that excess parcel tax that is not required each year to service the debt, um, would be recycled and returned back to after expenses of the district, would return back to AHS for operating purposes each year. Uh, So it would uh, provide, as indicated, a uh, lower interest rate, lower debt service uh, as you have a higher cushion. And that cushion or extra parcel taxes would be returned after again expenses the district paid as is required by the JPA currently, uh, that excess amount would be returned back to HS for operations. And yes, we, we uh, right now are assuming that all of it's used for that. And that is an assumption that's incredibly conservative because at the very minimum, I think the discussion was before, we'd only use about 85 to 90%, even if we were maxing out the debt capacity with the parcel tax that we have. Certainly looking at a 53 million or a 50 million uh, level of debt that would even make the uh, leverage less and uh, uh, create, uh, again, uh, a lower interest rate, lower debt service, and uh, a greater amount that we return to HS for operations. Did that answer the questions that you had? I'm more than happy to answer or attempt to answer as, uh, as well.
3: Yes, sir. Um, so I, I appreciate this discussion. Um, uh, I, I'm going to put on my physician hat here and and ask uh, for everyone to, uh, as a thought exercise, to extract the financial discussion. I know I, I'm not asking us to do that forever, but for this. So my question is, does this meet the clinical operational need of all patients of the system? And does this improve our quality? Where in the calculus have we considered that? Has that been considered? Does this does this move meet the operational needs for the systems for the systems patients, including those of the district as well as, as the larger system? Uh, I don't, I hope, has that been plugged into the capitalist here? In terms of the option we landed on, or or just from a clinical perspective, does this move meet what we need clinically?
0: There's a belief that it does by our planning group. Yeah, it, 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 it
9: maintains acute care beds. Mm-hmm. Um, which are especially our medical staff felt very strongly about that we needed to be able to maintain acute care beds um, as we've seen continued growth in the ed it also allows us to be able to have access and capacity for transitioning from a pilot hospital in terms of systemization right and and also there is a tremendous need yet for skilled nursing beds our organization this will help with that so clinically um we believe that's a win-win for alameda and consideration has been given to the system. thank you for that one of the
3: bullet points was concerned the sniff referrals were largely from highland and that and that uh, how i read it was that wasn't necessarily a possible for us from a financial perspective but it helps move system patients through so let, let's talk about that how that? Is that sniff really helping our highland flow or are we helping a financial flow and both are very very important i just want to address that question for us i think it's both i mean i I think
0: what i heard was if we were enrolling self-pay skilled nursing
2: patients from the street they would be profitable and those are you know and we're not because we need the beds in our system for patients that are within our system yeah um, and so this would make more available for that. And that's important, I think from your first perspective of our, the clinical picture of the service we're providing
9: overall, and then just for the throughput, just because there's a shortage of, outside of our system, we don't have a place to place people. If, the other thing is if, if we immediately start with a couple units at 50 to 60% capacity where they are today, it gives us the option operationally to combine units, open units when we have to. It gives us some flexibility with that. It also will allow us within a med surge unit, you can create, say, geriatric space. Yeah, geriatric. You. Yeah. Um, you can it doesn't mean that just because they're med surge unit doesn't mean you can't have um, specific types of programs within a med surge unit. Thank you. that's so why I, I want to repeat my other comment. yeah are we have more of this presentation
10: or is it that's yeah, okay so I, I'll repeat for the benefit of the other trustees was that um, uh, you know, the outreach I think the community outreach that's needed here and uh, we are not obviously within the island of Alameda, but uh, but including the, the, the city government and uh, uh, you know, obviously the district's very involved but I just think that's vitally important that, because uh, like I said, I, I think all people will hear is, you know, you're, you're changing my hospital and they shouldn't hear that. And In fact, was that because people always assume the worst, you know, if you're going to do something different and talk, you know, talk, have a plan and know this is actually improving the performance, improving more services, better for better the community. That sort of, I'm not going to write, I'm just saying that's the sort of things should be talked about. Um, because again, I nature is what it is. So yeah. You say I'm changing something. The, assume the worst. Yeah. And that shouldn't happen here because that's not what we're trying to do and that's not what's gonna happen. Well,
2: we're not going to the citizens for a tax. We're not asking them to do anything. What they don't want to do is lose the hospital. We're not going to lose the hospital. All we're doing is taking basically fixing it so it doesn't fall down in twenty thirty or get closed, and then taking it by a place that's completely <laughs> vacant now and full of like old furniture and things and making that into a facility. So I I don't see where that's going to be a challenge. The mayor and the city council are all on board. Again, if they don't have to pay. People do have to continue to pay the parcel tax, I suppose some people would rather not. Um
10: they don't actually have that choice. Well, that's not my experience with people. That's not human nature. So trust me. Human nature is that that they they eighty percent will not have an idea of what you're doing. And
2: eighty percent won't know what we're doing.
10: Yeah, exactly. But it's but, but when you get you know uh, comments you'll see it on the various social media sites you want to, i think you get ahead of it. Um, just yeah. oh of course
9: nobody had to do that yesterday. so to that and trustees after you mentioned it last time you know when we're creating this transition team alice kinner who's sitting over there from our phase department he she and or her designee will be sitting on the group so we can have in real time discussion about who we need to communicate these things to
3: So thank you for bringing it up. Dr. Joshi, do you have any comments from the med staff perspective?
18: Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I think uh, Mark Fratsky said it well, which is that the med staff, we really do strongly believe we need the acute care beds. We need to be able to take care of our patients. Um, The emergency department volume has increased we are unable to transfer to Highland because of their own boarding issues. Um, we already have um, the clinical need. And I think what's really important is that all of this analysis is about Alameda Hospital, but it really and truly is about what HS needs as a system. And so when we look at the metrics and the financial argument, um, I just hope that we can remember the system metrics, the system financial argument And for us to truly be able to provide great quality of care and access to those who don't have anywhere else to go, it's really the acute care beds that's where we need to look. And yes, there are restraints. There are, you know, restraints within the operating room. There's restrictions within SPD that are real, and we need to work within those confines. But as much as we can within those confines, I think we need to maximize acute care beds. Thank you.
0: All right,
10: if I can suggest that our, our chair, who is from the LA Health District,
9: make a motion, we have an action
10: item here, right? Suggesting it might be the most appropriate person to make that motion. I would happily second it.
9: Well, I
2: move that we uh, authorize our leadership to move forward uh, to develop the financing plan um, and develop the necessary um, changes to the Joint Powers Agreement. Um, between the Alameda Healthcare District and the Alameda Health System, uh, so that we can uh, move down the road of creating a seismic retrofit and, and keeping the hospital operational. I will gladly second that.
9: And, and just to be clear, we'll bring that back for you to review before we find yes.
7: May I also ask to clarify? And that's consistent with option A. Here, here, here.
2: You're, it could be any option. What we're approving here is the authorization. the authorization for us to move forward with a plan to redeploy funds from the parcel tax to fund the renovation and seismic retrofit. And the actual configuration is still under consideration. We know that there's an option that would really bring down the loss to, to potentially zero, um, but there are other considerations that suggest perhaps it may be more optimal from sister's perspective to configure it somewhat differently. And that's what this work group uh, is going to work on and bring that back. That decision would also come back. to the work. Thank you. Chair, sir, trustee Chapman.
8: Um, yes. Thank you. I don't know if, if this is the appropriate place or not, but I would try to add a friendly amendment. Um, I'm in favor of uh, reallocating <clears throat> finances and develop and developing a plan But I would also like to see a finance plan, but I would also like to see a communication plan that goes out to um, our community, just letting them know what's happening in terms of transparency. Like uh, Dr. Josie said, we are in need of acute care beds, And I think if we just put that out there and let them know what we're doing, it will be a lot easier than us seeing things come across social media or misrepresentation of what we're actually trying to portray. So I don't know if that would be an amendment to... This, or if it would be something separate.
4: We
6: would take that as direction, Trustee Chapman, from you. I don't think we need to amend the motion, but we'll take that we already Yes. Thank you. Are you ready? Yes. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee
8: Fox. Aye.
1: Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Garrett. Aye. Trustee Sine. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes.
2: item we have is
9: the written reports, yes.
2: We're on to the board calendar track. Is there any discussion
0: about that? Yes, sir I, I think i would like to uh, propose somewhere
3: on our agenda item to hear about the cardia follow um, uh, follow up, follow up uh, about the report
2: and, uh, and somewhere down the middle, down the right. yeah and that's come back twice and the agenda. i agree number of written staff reports no, if we were
9: to do that it's it's not holding uh, issue i would suggest if the board is okay with it that we have it be in march
2: Um, so we have two written reports and then um as i understand it we will not have um Two of the uh, items in the closed session, and we can defer the first item uh, to a future meeting. In which case, we would not
0: have a closed session this evening. So, there's no closed session. I don't need to Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> <good>. Oh, that's <laughs> good. You're <not>, lucky <laughs> like seven. Oh, I'm sorry. You picked yeah. the right time.
7: Right? <laughs> <laughs> mean, Whoa. <laughs> Thank you. That's an that alliance. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to go home and get my ice
2: <laughs> packet.
0: Thank
2: you all. Good nice job, you. Great job, Chair. Good job. Yeah. Amazing. Four more years. <laughs> Bye.